You live with your mother at your age? I heard that a lot. When my dad suddenly passed away, my mother took an early retirement package from AT&T. And I asked her to come spend some time with me, you know, like to heal and things. And I remember unloading the moving van. Dang, she brought a lot of stuff with her. It took some getting used to for both of us. I was single and dating at the time. She was looking for things to do. She'd make dinner or clean the house. Other days I would. And we got along great, a lot better than when I was a teenager in her house. And one day, I'll never forget this, we were getting in the car to go somewhere, probably to look at houses. And I had a neighbor who used to turn me into the homeowners association for leaving my trash cans out an extra day. And every time she turned me in, it cost me like 25 bucks. Well, so here mom and I are in the garage getting ready to go. And I saw the woman staring at me and that green trash can at the curb. So I said in a really loud voice, hold on, mom, we can't go yet. I have to bring the trash can in before my neighbor calls the HOA police again. To which my mother said to me, just because she's a nasty woman doesn't mean you shouldn't be a good Christian. Well, that was her sense of humor. She didn't even know that was funny. Well, I got married, moved into a bigger house, and she stayed. And she threatened to buy her own house a few times, but I'd always talk her out of it. I loved having her around me. She helped me so much, especially when I had Ian. I mean, she was the second person to hold him. Barry, my husband, well, he was the first. And then as Ian grew up, they were more like brother and sister many times. And mom took care of him. She watched him. That's why Ian never went to daycare. And one day she called me at work. Oh, she was so mad. She said, you better get home right now. I can't stand this kid anymore. And I'm like, what happened? She goes, just come home. So I hopped in the car, flew home, and I opened the garage door, and she's standing there ready to go. And I said, what happened? And Ian was laughing. Well, here's the story. He was probably about eight or nine years old, and she was having a bowl of soup sitting on the couch. Well, he took his remote control helicopter flew it over her head into the soup so that the soup went all over her face. Okay, She didn't think it was funny. Ian said it was just an accident. But anyway, we have so many stories like that. We traveled, oh, countless places. Uh, we laughed. We lived together for almost 30 years. And we fought. Man, gosh, we would have some good knockout dragouts. I mean, after all, I am a strong, independent woman. And let me ask you a question. Where do you think that came from? And I fought for her life when she was diagnosed with cancer. This is a different podcast. It's not about tech tricks, security issues. I want you to hear about an organization that helped me tremendously. It's hospice. And joining me is Lynn Sue Flood, who, aside from being, let me tell you, a lovely, articulate, and wonderful person, she's also Hospice of the Valley's Director of Community Engagement. Because I want you to know how this organization works and really how not to be afraid of that word, hospice. So, Lynn Sue, thanks for being here. So often when you hear the word hospice, it's like, oh, no, it's that word, hospice. It's the end. It's bad. It, it's I'm giving up, right? Yes, yes. Wrong. And, and, you know, because I'll have to tell you when the Mayo docs told me, like, hey, you know, there's really nothing more we can do for your mom. And they used that word hospice. I mean, my heart just sank because, you know, 
Let me back up just so you know. My mother has lived with, lived with me for probably 28 years in my home. And when, and when my husband asked me to marry him, you know, he got on his knee and he gave me a ring. And I said, well, you know, now, you know, we come as a set. <laughs> okay. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the two of us come together. Um, because my father had passed away, and there's this huge uh, age difference between my parents. And she had already done her career, so to speak. She was one of the developers of the Unix operating system. She went to 114 different countries around the world. I mean, uh, and I don't know if you remember, but we used to have to dial 411, the directory. Oh, yeah. That, okay, she was the brains behind that. She also was the brains behind the first video phone. I mean, so she's... It was very accomplished. And so, you know, so when, you know, she's like, well, you know, I don't want to live in Florida anymore. I'll come out with you. I'm like, oh, gosh, this is great. Okay. And so it really was truly wonderful. As a matter of fact, when we got married, uh, Barry, our, our wedding rings have three bands. They're the Cartier bands. And so there's wow. three interlocking bands. And so my mother's there. And, you know, I hear, I think, I'm thinking we're going to have this profound moment. Because she says, okay, you know, let's say a prayer before... We go to the church. And she says, no, here are your rings. So, you know, Barry, three rings. You know, obviously, Kim is one ring of the three. And then she says to me, and Barry is the, you know, the second ring. And then she said, now there's the third ring. And she said, that's me. And, you know, we busted out laughing, you know, because that's, but, you know, that's just the way it was. So when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I was like, no, I mean, this, they told me to take her home to die then back in 2017. And I'm like, no, that's just not going to be part of that whole lexicon. And, and, you know, my listeners and viewers, they've coached me, they've helped me. Um, I've gotten plants and cards and flowers and all kinds of really great support because, you know, cancer just doesn't affect one person, right? It affects the entire family. Yeah. And as her primary caregiver, you know, that was really hard times. So, you know, having seen her go through the couple of rounds of chemo, the Whipple surgery, which is basically they cut you open and then they put you back together, which she was on the table for 14 hours, wow. which was nuts. Um, and then to, to go through all this and then to hear the word hospice, it was heartbreaking. You well, know? Kim, it's hard for people because really hospice is not about giving up. It's about when your daily quality of life is significantly impaired and when all the treatments aren't going to change the outcome and you're ready for comfort care. Uh, because your body is at such a place with the advancement of the disease process of a terminal illness. Correct. That's really uh, the best way to improve your quality of life. And if people stay away from hospice because they think they're giving up, then they're really, it's a kind of a misconception because it's causing them uh, needless suffering. Yeah, and see, and that was the thing that, Unless you were there with the person, you know, people like to give you advice from eight miles away, right? Yeah. Or in my case, 600 miles away or 2,000 miles away. And, and they, they, 
we're saying like, you know what? No, mom looks great. She doesn't need hospice. You know, uh, maybe you need to take her to another doctor. Maybe, you know, and it's all these maybes. But, you know, when your nurses swooped in, I have to tell you, they were phenomenal. They were amazing, compassionate, empathetic, wonderful people who, you know, were helping me through this whole process. Every one of those adjectives is right on, Kim. They really are amazing. And it's not just the physical part. Didn't you find the emotional part, the alleviating the anxiety and all the questions you had? And what does this mean? And what's next, right? Yeah. Yeah. What can I expect? And, and having never gone through this, it's it was the unknown. Yeah. And and then with the unknown, you get fear and you get doubt. And uh, being able to talk to somebody who anticipated, uh, you know, Barry and I were just talking about this the other night, maybe even last night at dinner, that your staff was able to tell me what was going to happen. And you know what? They were right. They were right. There was no question. Like, she's going to have a rally. Okay. And then my niece has a little cute little guy by the name of Owen. And so my mother was watching Owen eat and, and just was, you know, and kind of had that rally at the end where she was back, you know, and excited. Aww. But just for that moment. But it was so great to see and then to have that. But, you know, and the support, like you mentioned, it's, it was really anything that I needed. I mean, there was no question. It was like, and then, but also anticipating, like, you know, she's going to need a hospital bed. And she's going to need, and I'm like, oh, you think? And, uh, you know, what else? And, you know, let's, you know, give her, you know, if she wants ice cream, give her ice cream, you know. And then Barry asked, you know, she loves Jack Daniels. Can she have Jack Daniels? And they're like, yes, give her Jack Daniels, you know, and play music that she likes and and pray and have priests come in or whoever you want. And and it really, you know, it really was an amazing thing. And I wanted to thank you. Well, and it was in the comfort of home, too. And how important is that? Yes. And that was her requirement. When, because I'm trustee and I have a brother and two sisters, but you know, obviously I'm, there's also an age spread between my brother and me, like for 11 years. So I kind of grew up almost like an only child, you know, I mean, it's at some point because they had already gone off to school and starting their own lives and everything like that. And so, you know, so going through all this, it was, um, it was, it was, a, it was really wonderful to have the hospice by my side, because in her estate documents, her preference was to die in her own home, pain-free, and, uh, and you know, with little Jack Daniels, you know. And just, surrounded by the people she loves, and uh, you correct. were there. Yes, correct. So, but it's not just cancer, right? Oh, no. Yeah, there are so, and it's not just seniors. You know, um, little children have terminal illness. Gosh, that would be so hard to see. It is. And the hospice team is what holds those families up. 
you know, you really aren't alone. Uh, that hospice journey is a vulnerable one. Uh, you know, you just went through it. Um, I know we talked a month ago about yeah. me doing this show and you needed some time because it is right. a very emotional journey. And it's hard. Yeah. You only lose your mom once, right? Right. Mm-hmm. What a relationship. Um, but I love hearing that you felt like she got what her wishes were, but you were also helped as a family member. Yes. Because you're on yes. the journey too. Right. And even when we had people, <clears throat> some people in the family who didn't agree with hospice, that your, your folks were able to, to help me through that too. Mm. Because there were certain people, well, and I'll tell you, maybe you've heard this phrase before. Because the phrase was, you shouldn't have agreed to go to hospice because you killed our mother. Wow. Yeah. Death is a very hard thing to accept. And um, a lot of times families don't all live in the same city, so they haven't seen the progression. And Correct. Um, and you can't see it over a, a nest cam. You can't see it. You know, it's just not there. And, and it, you know, and it was to comfort her through her end of life. Mm-hmm. Well, there is no I, crystal ball. You know, your doctor no. will suggest it when he really feels like there are no more treatments that are going to help and can actually um, cause more suffering because the body is at a point where it yes. can't respond to treatments. Right. And, you know, the lungs are filling up. And so what I did, and what I took my mother for her treatment to uh, MD Anderson in Houston. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, because, you know, I'm fortunate enough that, that I have a plane so I could just put her on the plane so we didn't have to, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that major of a deal to, to do this. I mean, and so over the course of her treatment, I became friends with her doctor, a guy by the name of David Fogelman. Mm-hmm. And we truly became friends. Uh, like he called me up, I'll never forget this, he called me up on a Sunday. And he said, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, Dave, what should I be doing on a Sunday? And he's like, go to your computer and I'm going to send you a file. And I'm going to teach you how to read a PET scan. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a nerd. I don't know if I can do this whole medical thing. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to teach you. So he sends me a picture and he says, find the cancer. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at. He said, it's not your mother, it's a kidney. Okay, find the cancer. And I'm like, um, he said, as he's describing, he's like, the gray area, it's a gray mass. Find it, find it. Little tiny dot, tiny. And I'm like, he's like, I'm like, 10 p.m., 10 o'clock? And he's like, yes, okay. Now there's two more. Okay. <laughs> so then he sends me uh, my mother's PET scan. And he's like, okay, find the cancer. You know, so, I mean, when she was getting targeted radiation, I was in the booth with this other doctor, Colin Taniguchi, who was explaining to me about the targeted radiation. And so much so that he was giving her targeted radiation on a tumor. And, and he looks at me and goes, oh, crap, Virginia, you can breathe now. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> so, so, but because of that, I, and they came to my, both you know, doctors came to my mother's uh, 80th birthday party here in Phoenix. 
And because we all became part of this whole treatment thing. And so when uh, Mayo said hospice and MD Anderson said hospice, is that I called David and I said, um, I know that you now work for Merck and you're trying to win the Nobel Prize for the cure for pancreatic cancer, but um, I don't know what I should do. And he said, let's have a FaceTime call with mom. And so we had a FaceTime call and then he FaceTimed the whole family afterwards. And uh, he said to me at that time, it was August. He said, she, she'll see Labor Day, but she's not going to see Halloween. Mm-hmm. And she may not see October 1st. And so really hospice is the way to go. And I think that's when I reached out to you and like, okay, now what do I do? I don't know what to do now. What do I do? And so what do people, what is the first step? I mean, if, if somebody says hospice, do they just call? I mean, how does that work? Well, uh, yes, they're usually, they just call us and we will send someone out, a nurse to do an evaluation. Uh, because Medicare pays for hospice and you off, uh, obviously have to meet the Medicare requirements to sure. have hospice care. So we send someone out to do an evaluation. And, and from the evaluation, uh, I'm, I'm starting to think is that, you know, I was given certain materials and certain time frames and numbers to call. And, and, and there, the thing that was amazing to me is that there was never a charge. I mean, for anything. Well, that's the beautiful thing about hospice care. It is covered 100% by Medicare. But in order to have Medicare, you have to be 65 years old. So for those who are 44 with stage four breast cancer, the comforting thing about living in Maricopa County in Arizona is that Hospice of the Valley is the nonprofit. So we care for everyone, regardless of insurance or their financial status. And that's why we, um, are so lucky to have the generosity of the community helping us. We've never turned anyone away in 45 years. We've cared for all who have wow. needed. But but Medicare does cover it for those 65 and older. And now talk to me because you're, I know, and for those of you who are, who are listening, you're not in Phoenix, so we're going to reference like 44th Street. So whenever you get to Phoenix, you have to go to 44th Street. Uh, but anyway, Hospice, you're also building this huge dementia facility. We are. It is going to be the most comprehensive state-of-the-art facility um, in our area, probably in our region of the country, because it brings all the resources together in one place. So there's five parts of it. There's the adult day center, so people who have early or moderate dementia can go and have activities and socialize. Right next to it is the child care center. And so you have preschoolers wow. interacting. There's that intergenerational enrichment because they find joy. So many studies show that young kids and seniors are good for each other. There is assisted living for people with dementia who want to live there. There is a hospice home for those with late staged advanced dementia. And then there is a community education center where everyone in the community, family caregivers, of people who have loved ones living with dementia, as well as professional health care people who want to come in and learn state-of-the-art techniques for communication, best practices, and there's going to be a lot of support for caregivers. It's very difficult to care for someone 
that looks like your loved one, but is disappearing mm-hmm. day by day by day. They're still there, but they're not. And no one understands that the way people who work in the dementia field do and the way other caregivers do. So we're going to have a lot of community support. You know, and, you know, being a caregiver was something that, you know, uh, that's, that was, that was, that's a tough job. That's an underrated, really, really tough job. Well, uh, family caregivers are not trained. If you're a professional, correct. you get some training for that. But as you know, you were thrust into it immediately. Right. And I, you know, and my whole thing was just to fight, 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 fight. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and then also making sure that even, you know, then the pandemic hit, oh my gosh, you know, you know, but then to make sure that everything that was sanitized and, uh, you know, things, people coming in to even fix something, I would like, you know, put her in a bubble, you know, I'm like, because at that time, during the pandemic, she was cancer free. I mean, going about her day and everything. And then, but being a caregiver I have a whole new respect for anybody who does it professionally or for their family because it is a very hard task. I mean, very often caregivers own health really goes downhill because they're putting this other person first. They're doing things when the other person's sleeping instead of sleeping themselves. Uh, They don't really pay attention to their own health and wellness. And so we do lots of things about teaching them to care for themselves so that they can be there, their best for the person they're caring for. Oh, I can tell you. I mean, yes. I mean, raise my hand. I mean, I put everything off to the side for me. Yeah. I mean, and, and, but still I was on, you know, on the air every day and the weekends and doing this and running a company and doing Bloomberg. I mean, you know, and it, and, but it wasn't until probably, I think probably maybe two months after she passed that I was going up Camelback and I felt free. Hmm. I felt like I didn't have to run back for some, it just hit me like, oh my gosh, I don't have to go run back to make sure she's okay. Hmm. I I stopped getting up at two o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning to go check on her to make sure she was okay. And then over the holidays, um, my son goes to USC and we were, you know, together traveling around. We actually went to New York and stuff. And he said to me, he goes, you know, you're different. And I'm very close to Ian, very close. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, um, you're just, he said, I feel like I got my mom back. Aww. He said, this is, he said, you know, this is, he said, you don't, he goes, I'm not afraid to talk to you because I'm afraid I'm going to set you off and you're just going to blow on me. <laughs> And it was like, you know, and you're not all stressed out. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, he said, uh, I, he said, I was a, a junior, was he a junior at, PC, at Phoenix Country Day School? He's a junior or senior. And he said, I came into his room and I looked at him and I said, why are you playing Xbox? It's a Wednesday night at eight o'clock. Why are you playing Xbox? You're wasting your life. And he said, and I just started crying. Oh, and we're and, so and I, stressed out. Yes. And I went into the kitchen and he, and he sat there and he's taller than me. And he said, and he picked me up and he's like, sit down. And he said, I'm playing Xbox on a Wednesday because I'm done with my homework. Okay. That's why I'm playing Xbox. 
you need a glass of wine. And he went and got me a glass oh. of wine and said, here. <laughs> but, but, but helping the caregiver, I think, is something that anybody who's listening right now, that this is paramount. I mean, this is something that you can't neglect because you're right. You know, your health does because you're just so preoccupied at, at everything else. Well, can you imagine um, folks who don't have a hospice team behind them, somebody no. that they can call 24-7 and say, I need help with this, or I don't know what to do about this, or this seems to be a troubling symptoms, what, what does it mean? Um, that support and knowing that it's there 24-7, and it's not just a nurse, there's a social worker there, there's a chaplain yes. there, there's a volunteer who can come in. Um, and yes. you know, afterwards, there was bereavement counseling. I don't know if you took advantage of that. Um, no, I didn't. But they did reach out several times, and you know, I I feel she had just an amazing life. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, living to eighty two, I think that's fabulous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the fact that. I was able to be with her for all those years, you know, and I mean, countless trips to Hawaii. I couldn't even count how many times. I mean, I actually bought a place in Hawaii so she could live there for a while because she loved the place so much. Um, I mean, Europe and New York and I mean, just, you know, and the things and the experiences. I mean, she called me up once and uh and or she sent me a text and I and it said stuck in Nepal, trying to get to Burma. I'm like I'm sorry. <laughs> so you know, and she because she was stuck in Nepal and there was some revolution going on. And I called John McCain and I said, John, I my mother's stuck in Nepal and there's some revolution. He's like, didn't she read the state advisory? Didn't she read that? Yes, but it doesn't pertain to her. Why would that pertain to her? So anyway, so we figured out how to get her out. Of Gosh, I wonder where you got all your gumption from. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? <laughs> right. That was, yes. You know, truly, you know, and for Ian, you know, he, he, he would like say, as he was, you know, he'd say like, you know, I'm so tired of having two mothers. If you're not on my back, she's on my back. You know what I mean? Cause he, he had two mothers growing up, you know? And so, but but it's it was an experience that I wouldn't I I wouldn't have said no to. Yeah. Ever. But but I really wanted to thank you and hospice for everything that you've done. And it, it's a it's an amazing organization. I don't want people to be afraid. What would you right? tell them so they wouldn't be afraid? Because you've just been through it and it's gonna come from someone who's actually lived it. How would you tell people not to be afraid? That it's going to alleviate the stress that you know about and the unknowns because you haven't been through it. And this person who you love tremendously is... is is going to thank you afterwards at some point when you guys get together again because that transition where the body is breaking down, and it is, the body's a machine, the body's breaking down, and the cancer's taking over or the dementia's taking over, whatever it may be, you know, that there was the support 
And that ability to call somebody, which I did at 1130 at night, because I was freaky Friday, as I like to say, you know, about what was happening at that moment. And if I was doing the right thing because I had family members questioning me and the last person I would ever hurt in this entire world would be my mother, the last person. So would I, in, and why would I intentionally hurt her? And there was, there was a scream fest between me and a family member because they swore I was doing the wrong thing. But as I said, the, the, there were tumors in her lungs. There were tumors in her pancreas, in her liver, in her kidneys. Her lungs were filling up. She didn't look like who she was. You know, her face was getting bloaty in her body. And in, the body wasn't acting. And so I would tell them, we always are afraid of the unknown. But you can face it with confidence because knowledge is power. So if you have that knowledge base with you, you have that power to make the right decision, even though it's a hard decision, to make the right decision. Does that answer the question? Yeah. So do you feel like the hospice team gave you that power, that knowledge? Yes. Yes. Because I... I didn't know what to expect. Even though I had David Fogelman, he told me what was going to happen. He told me the signs. He said, you know, pancreas, is, the liver's going to be shutting down, and then she's going to get toxins building up in her blood. She's, she's going to, he said, in some sense, he said it's, it's actually reassuring because her brain won't be operating as on the level that it is normally. Uh, and... And the hospice team came in and told me the same thing. And these are signs. And then I'd see the signs and I'd be like, oh my, holy crap. I mean, this is something. But being also to pick up the phone, I did it, like I told you, 1130. I think I called once at three o'clock in the morning. And it was never a hassle. It was never like, and I even apologized, I think, a few times. I think I called him once in like four times a day. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to be that PIA customer or client of the hospital, but I just, I'm like so confused right now, you know. And being able to talk to somebody, but also their mannerisms, Lunsu. I mean, the way that they, they are truly compassionate and never in a hurry, never. Never like, okay, I got five minutes with you. I got to go to the next person. Never. It was always just, okay, are you sure? And there was one gal, I wish I remember. She was, told me she was a nurse for 40 years. And she came in the morning, and, I, and I, she, she was sensing that I was very anxious about what was going on. And she's like, you know what? Let me come back at two. And I'm like, oh, watch, would you please? <laughs> that would be so great. And she did. And then she actually came back at seven. Oh. And so it was, um, it was pretty amazing because, like you said, it, it, it covers all different levels of what patients going through, what the caregivers going through, what the families going through, and the training that you provide to these folks in having them 
negotiate all different levels where somebody would say this and somebody would say that. And it, it, uh, I, I really don't know what I would have done with them. Really. Sounds so like you got peace of mind. Yes, very much so. Very much so. And I think that's, that's what hospice gives. Oh, well, your mom sounds like she was an amazing woman. You're an amazing oh, she woman was. and you had a good, good hospice journey. Oh, it was fabulous. It was. And so I wanted to do this so that we could together tell more people not to be afraid. Sorry. Oh, don't be sorry. It's important that people know what hospice can provide and to not be afraid of it. What do you tell people who are afraid of it? Well, I try to let them know that there are misconceptions because people associate the H word hospice with death. But it's the terminal illness that is causing the death. Hospice is the philosophy of care that comes in once there is a terminal illness to make that journey the best it can be, to make every moment that you have left matter, to alleviate all of that anxiety and pain and fear, not just for the patient, but also for the family. Yeah. It's really to walk alongside you, walk alongside you. And so what are some other misconceptions about hospice that you think? Well, we we already touched on one. People think, well, this is concierge care. You come into someone's home. It must be hideously expensive. They don't understand that it is not. And and I think a lot of people think, well, I'm going to lose my doctor who's taken care of me my entire life if I go to hospice because they have their own doctors. But the fact is, your hospice team works with your doctor because no one knows you better than your doctor. So you don't lose your doctor. I think that's important. And I think something else people think is if I go to hospice, I'm going to die faster, which is so distressing because it's so untrue. Uh, There is nothing about hospice care that speeds up or hastens death. In fact, if you get hospice care, Early on, it's personalized, it's individualized and customized to your illness and your body and your health and where you are in your journey. It is so person-centered emotionally and physically that it can actually, in some cases, extend life. There have been studies that show early on in the process, it would extend life. Because think about it, if your body is at a certain point and you can go hospice, or you can go one more round of aggressive treatments. The aggressive treatment may not be a thing that's going to extend your life. And the quality of life definitely won't be the same as if you were not pursuing an aggressive treatment. See, that was, what you just said was really something that, that I had to do with my mother. Mm. Because when the cancer came back, we, she said, I said, you know, what do you want to do? She said, well, what do you think I should do? 
<laughs> like, well, what do you want to do? Right. And so we did an aggressive. She said, you know what? Let's, I got, she goes, I have one more fight in me. <laughs> Let me see. And so she did the chemo. Mm -hmm. The chemo, she ended up in the ICU mm -hmm. because it was, and she was in the ICU septic for four weeks, almost, almost five weeks. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was, it was something because my car thought that I lived at the Mayo Clinic. I'd get in my car and be like, you know, 25 minutes to get home. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not home. <laughs> it's like <laughs> my phone thought I lived at the Mayo Clinic. But anyway, and so when she got out of that, and I said, so what do you want to do now? And then that was where it was like, okay, I, you know, it was, it was just, there was a decision on the table uh, to give whether or not she should try a chemo pill, mm. which had a 1% chance of working, yeah. which would send her on another tailspin. Yeah. So uh, there comes a point where... Yes. The decision is clear. Um, but for every single person, it's different. Some people don't wait until the very last second. Uh, they come on to hospice sooner and get that support sooner. And some um, come when they're not even responsive anymore. It's so late in the disease process. So it's, it's what every family feels is right for them. Uh, but the decision really ought to be made what is best for the patient and family and what does the patient want uh, and what do the doctors think rather than fear. Hospice is scary. Hospice is something to be avoided. It's the care that's going to surround you and make that journey the best it can be when the time is right for the family and the patient. Well and, and I really was surprised, not just with the emotional support, but with, uh, I mean, really anything that, that she would need. I mean, meals and, uh, you know, vitamins. I mean, it was like, I mean, I'm like, I, they were going through the list and I'm like, really? I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I do take care of all of her meals. They're like, no, we could do that. I'm like, no, it's okay. You know, because I know what she likes and, you know, but it was, again, the, the, my care team was really phenomenal. And if you could somehow get me their names, I'd love to. Oh, I'd be happy to. Yeah, it's really out. their mission to serve comfort and compassion. They want your mom's journey to be dignified and for everyone who's on that same journey with her to feel some peace of mind and feel supported. How do you, how do you find these people? Because these are not <laughs> run-of-the-mill people. I mean, so you know. We don't. Kim, they find us. It is they don't become hospice workers because it pays a gazillion dollars. They do it because it's a calling. They they know that they can really be a value and make a difference and have a powerful, lasting impact on someone's journey at the end of life. And they feel that it's a sacred journey and that it's a privilege to be part of it. That's well, what we call the hospice heart. No, it's it's evident. Everybody that came in had that had that heart, and it was, um, you know, it, I'm I'm very grateful. I am. I'm very grateful. Well, I'm very grateful that we were able to be there for you and your mom, Virginia. Um, is there anything else that that we should tell folks about hospice that 
you know, I spent a lot of time talking about my mom. I'm sorry about that. Oh, but no. um, I mean, anything that that you want to make sure that we get out? That they don't need to be afraid. And that, you know, the other myth I think people don't, don't understand is uh, they think they better not get on hospice too soon because it'll run out. It doesn't run out. And you actually can change your mind. So if you were to have gotten on hospice with your mom and she got stronger and six months later said, you know what, I think I want to try another treatment. She is absolutely free to sign herself off of hospice, go have the the treatment. And whether it's successful or not, at some point, the terminal illness, because it is incurable, would get to a point where perhaps she would need to come back on hospice. That benefit sits there waiting for you. It doesn't run out, doesn't go away, hasn't diminished. You're in control of whether you want to be on hospice or not. So you can always leave or come back. And there are many, many hospices. I don't think people realize. um, So the government, Medicare says, you choose the one you want. And if you get on one and you don't like it, all it takes is a phone call to change to one that you want. Uh, It's very simple. It's not a lot of paperwork, but you need to find the team that works for you, that that gives you the support that you need. And all hospices aren't the same, just like all radio hosts are not the same, (laughs) you know, (laughs) all music, all restaurants, uh, there are differences. So, you know, do your research and, and find the one that fits with your family. Well, thank you again. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing, you know, more about hospice and, and, you know, hopefully we've, we've helped some people along the way and, and they consider hospice as a resource and not as that, you know, oh gosh, I guess I'm dying tomorrow type of thing. <laughs> uh, Thank you for helping uh, shed some light on it and um, educating and, and making people aware of all that we can do to help. Yeah, and shoot me the shoot me the folks' addresses, please. I really want to spend. I really want Lev to send each one a handwritten note. I would love and to do that. Just to and say I will. thank you, thank you, mm-hmm. thanks, Lynn Sue. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. That was really lovely. You know, you're so transparent um, and sincere that people trust you. I can see why. So it's one. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And you know, if I can ever help you with anything, I want you to reach you're out. So okay. I mean, seriously, if there's anything I can do. I hope that this podcast helped you in some small way. And so, you know, share this podcast. Just don't listen to it. Share it with other people. Together, maybe we can help others who are going through a very difficult time. And thanks for listening.